So this morning, we have the opportunity of opening God's Word again this morning to learn about um, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I think as I was preparing this message, you know, it's a great privilege to be able to preach the gospel. It's an awesome privilege that I have to be able to communicate the gospel with you every single week. But it seems to be an extra privilege, an extra honor to be able to preach about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That the finished work of Christ on the cross on Good Friday, which we learned about just a few days ago, has been completed. And to prove its completion, all that Christ did on the cross, the pain for all of our sins, the redeeming us to live with him forever, cleansing us from all our wickedness, all our impurities, all of that was made real by the resurrection of, the, of Jesus Christ. He said to the cross, it is truly finished. He rose again. And I want so much this morning that the realness of this event, just as it was so real for Mary to hear her voice spoken, Mary, or her name called Mary, just as it was so real for the disciples to see Jesus just appear right in front of them in the closed, locked room. You know what my prayer is for you this morning? That, that that realness, that that closeness can also be experienced by you. That Jesus is alive and well right now. And by his spirit, actually, he is present with us. Well, the Apostle Paul, again, uh, spoke to us, or spoke to the church, but spoke to us by the Holy Spirit, telling us, you know, his whole ministry was shaped uh, by the reality of the resurrection, that Jesus had completed his work on the cross and rose again. And in that power, he went out and he proclaimed the gospel. And this is what we read in Romans chapter 1, the letter to this, book, this people in Rome. He says these words. He says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David and through the spirit of holiness was anointed, appointed, sorry, the son of God in power here by his, by his resurrection from the dead. Whose resurrection? Jesus Christ, our Lord, his resurrection. Through him, through that resurrection reality, we have received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles. And that's all of us here this morning, I think. If you're not from Jewish descent, you are a Gentile. Apostles to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called, who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. That's, not, that's God's calling on your life right now. Your call through the gospel of Jesus is to belong Jesus. Well, the passage that we're going to read this morning under this theme, the compassion of Christ in his first appearance uh, to his disciples, in the passage we're going to read, we're going to read about two really intimate encounters that Jesus has. One with a woman named Mary Magdalene, of whom he had driven seven demons from her, and the other, his disciples. 
Now, I don't know if it's really fair to, to contrast these two reunions, but there is something quite starkly different about these reunions and something beautifully similar about these reunions. What's starkly different is this, that Mary, as we will read, um, goes to the tomb, doesn't see Jesus' body in the tomb, runs back to tell the disciples someone stole the body. Well, Mary runs back to the tomb because she still wanted to see the object of her love. She wanted to see Jesus, at least his body, and she wanted to treat it. So she came back to the tomb, and she was crying there. And then she said, they have stolen my my Lord. The disciples, on their part, didn't go back to the tomb. They had heard the same news that someone had stolen the body. They heard, two of them ran. Jesus was gone. But where did they end up? In a closed-off room, really scared and really afraid. <laughs> and the way Jesus approaches both of them shows his compassion to them. He says to Mary, he says to Mary, Mary, he just calls her name. He says to his disciples, peace be with you, shalom to you. You see, one receives the assurance that this stolen body is indeed risen from the dead. The others receive the assurance that he is alive and well and they have nothing to fear. And where these stories connect, loved ones, between Mary and the disciples, where these stories connect is this, that Jesus doesn't overwhelm them. He doesn't even seek to impress them by his resurrected body. He simply wants to show them love. He knew exactly what they, need, what they needed to hear. He was a friend to them, a dear friend. And this re reunion meant so much to them. They were overjoyed when Jesus appeared to them. And again, I want this reunion that they experienced to be felt some way by you because he is, as I said, just as much alive as he was back then. He lives to be reunited to each one of us. So let's read that story from John chapter, John chapter 20. We're going to read the story of first Mary connecting to Jesus and then the disciples connecting to Jesus. But I'm going to focus today on the story of the disciples connecting uh, to Jesus. So uh, John chapter 20, verse 1. There we read these words. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over, looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb, as Peter would. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. But there's a parenthesis. They still did not 
understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. And the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken away my Lord, she said. I, I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, same question, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? This is a great story. Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. She's like, superwoman. Jesus said to her, Mary, turned around toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. She said, Jesus said, do, do not hold on to me, for I have yet to ascend to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. But they didn't go to the tomb. They didn't find him. They went instead to an upper room on that evening. This is what I'm going to preach on today. On that evening of the first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. With that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. This is the word of the Lord. Let's ask the Lord for a blessing over this message. Father in heaven. What a precious, precious jewel it is to be able to handle your precious word. But in that word, we meet Jesus. Not dead in the grave, but alive and well, having conquered the grave. Lord, I pray that you will conquer our spirits today by your spirit. That you'll open our hearts so that whatever is preached may be received by faith, and that we will know that Jesus is our Savior, who died for our sins, who has promised eternal life to each one of us. Lord, help us to receive him by faith, as the word is proclaimed today. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's the theme for this morning compassion of Christ in his first appearance to his disciples. And in four verses, we get all this. <laughs> Actually, five. In five verses, we get all this. Christ's presence with us, Christ's peace to us, Christ's purpose for us, and Christ's power in us. Christ is present with us. Christ gives us his peace. Christ has a purpose for all of us, and Christ has a promise, and that promise is to empower us. That's pretty impactful in just a short short few verses. Let's begin with Christ's presence. I wondered 
as I wrote this message, what the disciples were talking about in the upper room. I came to the conclusion, though you could push back on this, but I came to the conclusion that they probably didn't have a lot to say. They were confused. They were together means this band of brothers dis, didn't disband over their failed mission, but each one of them had a, a failure story, or a story, a story of failure. Peter would have been there sitting, you know, I, I, I can't believe, I can't believe, I can't believe I denied my Savior. The others said, well, you know, you denied him, but we fled from him. We didn't even want to get close to the cross, the cross where he died. They were fearful, they were disheartened, and they were confused. And we don't know how long they were in that state. But that's when Jesus shows up. That's when Jesus arrives. And maybe this commentator put it right when this person said, Our Savior often comes in our evening hour, when the sun of hope and happiness is low, and our comforters are few, when we least expect the aids of his providence and are ready to say, Is his mercy clean gone forever? This was written 200 years ago. Is his mercy clean gone forever? Where is he? And then he appears. His presence was immediate. That means he didn't have to knock on the door. That means he didn't have to open the door. And the walls were like butter, you could say. Without any restraint, he was all of a sudden in a glorified body standing right in front of them. And of course, they would think he is a what? A ghost. This doesn't happen. This is paranormal. So he immediately shows him them his hands and his side. In Luke chapter 24, he goes even a little bit further. He says, look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me. <laughs> Touch me, please. And see, a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And then he asks for something to eat as well. And a ghost doesn't eat. I have risen from the dead. And he wants his disciples to just grab hold of that immediately. As he wants the church of Jesus Christ 2,000 years later to grab hold of that immediately. That he is risen, that he's not a ghost. That one day you'll be able to touch his hands and look upon the side where there's that spear that was driven in here. Because he wants you to realize that his glorified body, as awesome and as beautiful as it is, will also be your glorified body. That one day you will be glorified like him. That you'll have a supernatural body like him. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 23 says, Christ is the first fruits of our future body. What we see in Christ, we get to experience one day. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 48 says, As was the earthly man, that was Jesus before he died, so are those who are of the earth. We are bound to destruction. We will die. This body will decay. So are the earthly bodies. Each one of you will face the grave. 
And as is the heavenly body, that's the one that rose back from the grave, as is the heavenly body, so also are those who are of heaven. That means everyone who has faith in Christ. What we are promised in this text, immediately upon seeing Jesus, is that what's imperishable, undefiled, untethered to all that death brings, glorified and eternal, becomes what we will be. We will have all of that. And whether we can teleport in eternity, I don't know. I'll leave that for the day that we meet our Savior in glory. That's the first thing that we notice. Here's the second thing we notice. That not only do we have a risen Savior who can move through invisible walls, make walls become invisible, who can move through doors and gates and locks and everything, he can also move invisibly into our spirit. I hope you realize that. He can go into any place you find yourself. He can go where no doctor can go. He can go where no counselor can go. He can go where no medication can go to heal you. He has that power. And we are reminded this morning that there is no place, even in the deep recesses of our hearts, that our Lord Jesus can't touch. Nothing can stop him. Not even the walls and the cavities of your heart. Notice again that he says, that we read, he stood among them. He stood among them. He didn't yell from the streets, hello, I'm down here. He didn't call through the walls. He didn't knock on the door. He wasn't going to play any games. He stood right in their midst. This was to create an intimate reunion, you see. He wanted them to see him. He wanted them to feel him, to hear his voice to believe in him, and to realize that he loved them, all in the standing in front of them. So we read, after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. They saw, and they were overjoyed because he was present with them. And the beautiful thing about the gospel is this, that Jesus is present with us here today. And you say to me, well, I can't put my hand in his side. I can't look upon the holes in his hand either. How do I know that he is present with us here this morning? Well, the answer simply is this. That he is present with us, says Jesus, by his spirit. As his spirit resides with us, even in this space this morning, even in our hearts, Jesus is, is saying to you right now, I am here, I am present. God says these words in Isaiah 41, verse 10, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. And Jesus proved that by his resurrection. And standing in their midst, we have a Savior who is omnipotent, omnipotent but he's also omnipresent. 
That's the first thing that we learn about our text this morning. Here's the second. Not only is he present with us, Christ is present with us, but Christ also comes to bring us peace. He comes to bring us peace. Probably the most important thing. Notice that Jesus addresses the disciples first. He's the first to say hello. There was a few years ago, actually many years ago, where I read this poster of all the things that you should learn in kindergarten. We have any kindergarten kids here this morning with us? All right, I got one hand, I got another hand. Oh, I got a few hands here. Whoa! Okay, listen kids, listen to me now. On this list, the list was quite long. I can't memorize the list, but one of the first things on the list that you're supposed to learn in kindergarten is this, that you are the first to say hello. I didn't know you needed to know this in kindergarten. But the idea is that if you wanted to be polite, and children, do you want to be polite this morning? Say amen. Thank you. That's my daughter. (laughs) She wants to be polite. If you want to be polite, you are the first to say hello to somebody. You're the first to say hello. If you haven't realized that lesson, you're supposed to have learned that in kindergarten. Now you know. You'll never forget. You are the first to say hello. Jesus was the first to say hello. But he says a lot more than just hello. You could say Jesus was uber polite. He knows when he arrived in that room that the people, the guys that were around him were all afraid. He knows that they feel the burden of their shame for denying him or running away from him in in his hour of need. He knows they didn't want to hang out at the tomb for fear of the Jews. He knows that they locked the door and they they were there and he wouldn't know how long they would have stayed there. And he comes to them saying more than just hello. He speaks first. He speaks with unparalleled compassion when he says these few words, peace be with you. That's what comes out of his mouth when he first meets his disciples. It's more than this, how how you doing? It's peace be with you. You see, what Jesus is doing, he's taking an Old Testament greeting, which is often used, and it's the word shalom. Shalom, which means peace. It's related to shalomat, wholeness. The greatest blessing there is in the way we greet each other. That's shalom. And Jewish people are still using that phrase today. Shalom. It means peace. It means wholeness. You know, shalom on Easter morning (laughs) is the complement of it is finished on Good Friday. I'll say that again. Some of you were here on on Good Friday. You heard me preach about it is finished. If you haven't heard it, you can probably find it online somewhere. It is finished. I preached a whole 45 minutes on that. But the shalom is the complement of those words on the cross. It is finished. Because for us to be reconciled now to God, Christ had to rise again. And he's saying, you have now been reconciled. Your debt has been fully paid for. I greet you in the name of my Father. Peace be to you. You have this wholeness, this relationship restored between you and my Father. There is peace now. There is forgiveness now. There is hope now. There is joy now. Things are right between you and God. You are eternally safe. He didn't come in there with his sword blazing saying, why did you leave me? Why did you deny me? Why did you do all that to me? 
what Jesus is doing actually is reminding them of a promise that he gave just four days before this. Four days before this in the upper room, in another room it seems, Jesus says this in John 14 verse 27. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say, I am going away and I'm coming back to you. Well, this is the day he came back to them. And what's the first thing he says to them? Peace be to you. Shalom. You know, Paul, we keep going back to Romans, but Paul draws this idea of Christ's resurrection, of the peace that we have because of the finished work of Christ on the cross. He says this in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we, <clears throat> we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There is nothing, loved ones, there is nothing that calms our fears more than the assurance of that peace. Someone wrote this, Jesus comes to his own when they are afraid. He doesn't wait for them to get their act together. He doesn't wait for them to have enough faith to overcome their fear. He comes to help them even though they have no faith to, so that their faith can ultimately overcome fear. Peace be with you. And I wonder this morning whether you know that peace, that peace of Christ. What do you hear when Jesus says to you, Shalom, peace be to you? What do you hear? You know, you have to understand that Jesus is still in the business of imparting peace to us. And so I'm going to ask you to let him speak peace into your restless spirit this morning. Your disquieted spirit, your anxious spirit. Let him speak peace into the mess of sin that has corrupted your heart, who says, because of my work, I've justified you. You're reconciled to God. Your sins are atoned for. Let him speak peace into the fearful reality of your own death. Peace be unto you, Jesus says to his people this morning. And you see, everything, everything else about the Christian walk, everything else about the Christian faith, everything that Jesus is going to say next to his disciples is built on that foundation of peace. Peace is first. Our whole life is the effect of this peace that Christ has worked for us and in us. So that's the peace. Christ present with us, Christ peace with us. The next two are going to go a bit quicker. We're going to look at Christ's purpose for us. Christ has shown his presence. He has given us peace, but now Christ has a purpose. Verse 21, and again Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Now, it might have been easier for Jesus to say, peace be unto you. Take it easy now. Just enjoy that, that life I've given you of peace. I reconciled you to the Father. Your sins are atoned for. Peace be unto you. Have a good day. Some of us would probably prefer that. Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus wants his followers to realize that faith in Christ is a call to action. 
That faith in the living Christ who has risen from the dead, when he calls us into a relationship with him, he calls us into a relationship of activity, not passivity. He calls us to action, to engagement. He wants us to know. He wants you to know this morning that you are saved for a purpose. I remember distinctly, and maybe I've shared this story, some of you have heard this story. When you get this old, you can start sharing stories that you've shared before. I remember sharing, asking a, a brother in Papua New Guinea who became a pastor to share his testimony with me. And he shared the story of how he grew up in this, on the streets of Port Moresby, the nation's capital, and he was involved with every crime under the sun. Alcoholism became his his norm, and he was drinking so much alcohol that it shot his liver and made him almost blind. He now can only see out of one eye. He was a thief. He told his wife when he got married, I'm not going to work a day in my life. Everything I get, I get through stealing. I'm quite sure why she married him. But she did. She loved Jesus, and she brought this gentleman to a, a, a service where Jesus was going to be preached. So in the evening evening service at a church and he came to the church and he said this this is a waste of time you can bring me here but I'm going to sit at the very back and when this guy is done talking I'm out of here because <laughs> I got drinking to do the gentleman spoke in broken pigeon because he was from New Zealand just learning the language. Even with his broken pigeon, which is the language of, of Papua New Guinea, even with his broken pigeon, this man in the corner who said, I'm just going to leave when this guy is done, started to weep and cry and weep over his sins. He had realized that he had been sinning against the holy God and that he is standing condemned before him that were he to die this evening, he would go to the very gates of hell. But that Christ is so gracious to him and so merciful to him that his, his sins could be atoned for by the Savior who died for him. And so he wept and he wept and he gave his life to Jesus that night. He's a bold, bold preacher of the gospel in Papua New Guinea. And he tells his story everywhere. No one believes it. He didn't even think it was possible. And then he said to me, Jesus saved me. And all God's people say, amen, because he's the one who saves. Jesus saves me, he said. But then he continued, and I'll never forget, he said he saved me for a purpose. Say that with me. He saved me for a purpose. You need to realize the same is said of each one of you. He saved each one of you for a purpose. And he wasn't making any mistakes either. He saved you for a purpose. And the purpose that Jesus has given his disciples, and by extension, of course, the church of Jesus Christ, is to join Jesus on his mission. That's pretty cool. He says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. 
Some have called this the Missio Dei, the mission of God, and we can scribble over, over the use of terms there. But ultimately it's this, that God is calling and sending us, the Church of Jesus Christ, to be a missionary church in our society, in our culture, wherever he places us. I'm sending you. See, anyone who receives this peace of Christ, anyone who knows that they are forgiven, de facto become an ambassador for the one who provides that freedom, for the one who provides that forgiveness. You become an ambassador for the one who saves you. That's what Jesus is saying. All that was accomplished on the cross, all that was accomplished on the cross, and as I said the other night, day, you will not be able to mind the depths of what was accomplished on the cross for you. But all that was accomplished on the cross is for the world, not just for you. But it's also for you. His peace, his light, his truth, his joy, his grace, his justice, his promise of eternal life, his forgiveness of sins is for the world. And that world begins whenever you step outside your door, if you're wondering where the world begins, outside your door. Some are going to do this in a formal calling like me. We have a number of you who are doing that right now, preparing yourself for formal ministry. Others are just going to share this gospel because you are a prophet in the name of Christ. You hold the office of prophet, prophet, priest, and king for Jesus. And as a prophet, you are called to declare his name outside your door, but also inside as well. And the message that you're going to share, just very quickly, the message that you're going to share is this. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you withhold the sins of any, they are withheld. Sorry, if you withheld, withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. That's verse 23. Just, just very briefly on this, I don't have time to go in this right now, but just, this is not a proof text for the confessional booth. We do not have the power to forgive sins committed against Almighty God. That's not what Jesus is saying. We don't have that power. We have the power by God's grace to forgive the sins that are committed against us, just not against God. But we have the gospel of forgiveness that is preached. And when we share and proclaim this message, and someone believes in Jesus and knows that their sins are forgiven. It's so close to what we are doing that Jesus says, it's as if you are forgiving their sins. It's as if you're withholding forgiveness if they reject that message. You are called to preach the gospel of forgiveness. If someone receives that and repents, you can know for sure that God has forgiven them. And you're all part of that story. If they do not repent, they are not forgiven. That's his purpose for you. To share that love, to share that good news with others. Here's final. I'll close with this very quickly. Christ's power in us. You know, for Christ to be present with us, to Christ to give us his peace, to Christ to, to put us on purpose, we need that fourth one. We need his power. Our power not quite enough. We're too weak. We're too incapable of fulfilling the mission of God in our lives, in our power. 
And when we try to do it in our power, we actually make a mess of things. This is why we pray. Because we realize our power is not strong enough. That we can do things on our own strength and things will just fall apart. But when we do things in Christ's strength, things begin to build up. Jesus says, and with that, or verse 22, and with that he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. The power that Christ gives his church so that they can fulfill his mission is the power that comes from the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. And just to be clear, when he breathed on them and asked them to receive the Holy Spirit, this is not um, the Johannine Pentecost. This is not John's Pentecost. And then we have another Pentecost later, as some of you know in the Christian calendar. Fifty days after Jesus arose from the dead, we have the Pentecost that we know as the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. When there's tongues of fire that come upon his disciples and when, and when Thomas is also there and then they get up and they start preaching the gospel boldly, that's Pentecost. And Jesus says in Acts 1 verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So what are we ha what's happening here when Jesus just breathes on them and tells them to receive the Holy Spirit? Well, one of our theologians from the past, John Calvin, puts it this way. He says it's a sprinkling of his grace it's not the full power. That might be true. Others say it's an acted parable. I like to think it's like a promissory note. Like a receipt of a purchase. When you purchase something on Amazon and they tell you that you have bought it and here's your receipt, you know that that thing is coming. And if it doesn't come, you can follow it and track it. But Jesus is saying, you know for certain that the Holy Spirit is coming. Here is just an, a parable. Here is an example of what that will be like. But this much is true, Jesus is showing them that without the power of the Holy Spirit, there's not going to be a single conversion. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, nobody will receive the gift of forgiveness. No one will understand how important it is. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, no one's going to turn from darkness to light, from a sinner to a saint. We need the Holy Spirit. I need the Holy Spirit. I pray mightily every week that the Holy Spirit will do something in this church every single time I pray. And I know many of you are praying the same prayer. It's a vain effort. It's a vain enterprise for me just to preach the gospel without the Holy Spirit coming in power and swooping in and touching your spirits. That's what we're praying about. Jesus says that will happen. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit shows its power. And that tsunami came like a tsunami wave at Pentecost for his church so that the gospel could go everywhere in the world. And somehow, by God's grace, it reached Canada. It reached East Hamilton. It has reached McQuesten. Hallelujah. All of this, loved ones, let me close with this. All of this, everything I've said this morning, is proof that Jesus has truly risen from the dead. I don't know this morning where you stand in your relationship with Jesus. I'm not here to judge you. I just don't know where you stand, every one of you. But I want to tell you this morning, wherever you stand, that Jesus has four gifts for you. He has the gift of his presence for you. He has the gift of his peace for you. He has the gift of his purpose for you.
and he has the gift of his power worked in you. Four gifts. And you are here this morning and you can receive these gifts. You say, well, how do I receive these gifts? You don't have to pay for them. You don't have to do cartwheels or anything. You put your faith in the risen Lord Jesus. You say in your heart, I believe that Jesus died for my sins. And I believe he rose again. And that one day I will see him for who he is with those holes in his hands, that wound in his side, because he died for me. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the gifts that you promised us this morning. The gift of your presence in a world where there's just so much evil and so much strife, you have the peace that passes all understanding that when you are present, there's wholeness, there's peace. We thank you for that gift of peace, the gift that makes us reconciled to God who is almighty, who is holy, who we have offended by our sins, and you have come and given us peace. <laughs> So that we are no longer enemies of God, but we are friends of God. In fact, we are children of God because of him. We thank you that you put us on a purpose, that we're not aimlessly living our lives down here, but you have a purpose for each one of us. And the ultimate purpose of our life is to make Jesus known in a world that is broken. And we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit, which empowers us to do this. What an awesome gift. Lord, help us to receive this now by putting our faith in Jesus as our personal Savior. In his name do we pray. Amen.